Welcome back to Almost Famous Minute, where we're discussing the 2000 Cameron Crowe film, Almost Famous, one minute at a time. I'm Eric Nash from Feels Like Weezer. And I'm using the AKG mic uh, we've received recently. Uh, for the second time, I think, here, uh, last week's, I think, sounded pretty good. Uh, any listeners uh, certainly can uh, let us know if you uh, find that there's any kind of uh, audio quality issue. Uh, good or bad, just let us know, and uh, we'll see what we can do. But I really appreciate the AKG for handing out mics to a lot of us in our Pantheon podcast network. And I'm Condra from the Amateur Nerds. And I, today, am Christian Swain, CEO and President of Pantheon Media, host of Rock and Roll Archaeology, Deeper Digs, and partial host of The Rock and Roll Librarian, all found on Pantheon Podcasts. At PantheonPodcast.com. Thank you, Eric. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> thanks, thanks for coming on, Christian. It's, uh, I've, I've, been, uh, I've, I've actually talked with you a couple times before, you know, in... Yeah. in you know, via video chat and different things like that. Uh, when I when I joined the network and a couple times after, probably you know, for our little inner uh, network, our our soirees as we like to call them around you know. here. Yes, yeah, yeah. It, and I'm excited to be on uh, the show. Uh, you know, yeah. almost famous uh, minute by minute. I've never done uh, a, a minute yeah, by right. minute um, uh, show before, so I'm excited to see how this whole thing works. Um, uh, of course I know the film and, and, uh, you know, it's, it's one of my favorites and certainly, you know, one that we hold dear around here in the rock and roll world. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine, uh, it would have been a tougher sell <laughs> <laughs> For, to get on the network. <laughs> ah, that camera crow. He's a jerk. He doesn't know anything. <laughs> now nah, we, uh, we love and respect Cameron around yeah. here. Yeah, well, thank you so much. And then uh, Conjure is a returning uh, co-host. Uh, you know, I think she probably initially might have been a guest for her first week back when I was doing that. And, yeah. and uh, but she's I think she's co-hosted since then. And oh, I'm the virginal sacrifice. I see. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> you, you get the guessing duties. And if you are able to come back further down the road, <laughs> you might we'll become see. the co-host, too. We'll see how it happens. We'll see how I do today. I might even have been a co-host from the very beginning because I remember oh, yeah. my first one. There was someone who had never podcasted yeah. before, oh, so right. because Could I'd be. already done movies by minute, that could be. Well, thank you both so much. <laughs> thank and, you for uh, having me back. Yeah, it's an interesting subgenre in the podcast world. Oh yeah, yeah, and what? Yeah, when it was created uh, between a couple different, yeah, between a couple different podcasts, essentially, kind of came up with. The idea pretty close to each other without knowing about each other. I'm awfully sure Star mm-hmm. Wars Minute is the one that we're kind of more aligned with because they did daily, uh-huh. and and many of the others that immediately followed tried to do daily as well, and <laughs> um, or or even something like I did through the three day a week. Um, but the other one was uh, for the Big Lebowski. The um, uh, what was that one called? And they still they still go they they still put out episodes even though they're done with the movie just talking about whatever i believe is my understanding oh that's so nice so they're not really talking about uh the big lebowski anymore they're just talking Uh, about stuff in general dudism dude in general oh oh are they are they developing a religion is is that what I? they are dudists (laughs) well that's that's actually my uh my current uh uh pastor at the church i attend uh she is a Dudist follower. Oh, oh, this is a real thing. Yeah. Uh, so, like, uh, kind of like the Pastafarians. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay, get it. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, yeah. So this is uh, week fifty-nine. The way I'm doing it now, um, and minute seventy-nine, and it starts with William looking back at the bus, and ends with the road managers playing poker or some such kind of game. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. I remember once or twice, probably in college, putting some cards on my forehead, <laughs> trying to play some kind of game. Well, isn't there a isn't there um, a guessing game uh, with the phones nowadays? That's very similar. Oh you yeah, stick it on your forehead. I have done that too. Yeah. So, so I guess this is where it's it it's, yeah. uh, it it precurses <laughs> is uh, the uh, 52 deck uh, version. Yep. Interesting. Yeah, so I guess he leaves the bus for the plane. So here's a question. Um, uh, I know Voodoo Child's playing in the background, and then right. they they crossfade into Clarence Carter's Slip Away. But as the plane 
um, you know, they, they go one last shot of the old decrepit bus and the yeah, plane flies course. above it. Uh, you think that's an homage to Casablanca? Oh, wow. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. I just thought that was kind of an interesting shot. And as we know in movie making, nothing, and I mean nothing, <laughs> is left to chance. Uh, as as much as they humanly possibly can do. So everything is considered and thought of, you know, and obviously, you know, to get the angle of the plane, uh, you know, they, they probably had to do that shot several times. So it was very intentional. Yeah. And I, I would, I would say too, that they might have, oh man, they, they might've even repositioned the bus from that previous shot where he's looking back. Wait, wait, yeah. You see his, it, it is in a different, it is in a different position. Right. The way the pavement cement looks and the gra- little bit of grass coming through cracks. Right, right. <laughs> it doesn't quite look the same. Right. So the, the, the minute yeah. 78 uh, is, I, I, I'm sure Voodoo Child is playing in, in that as we oh, move yeah. into 79. Remind me of minute 78. Well, minute 78, uh, yeah, I mean, they were starting this walk, but... You know, and that's when it's when they're starting when you see them coming out of the bus and, and they're starting to walk is when when the, the song starts as well. But even before that, um, uh, it was it was it was the end of the scene with uh, Jimmy Fallon. Doing, oh, doing his, getting getting the, and, the the the, uh, the manager gig over Dick. Yeah. And, and that's and that's the part talking about Mick Jagger as well. The very very most famous part of i think that i have like three or four <laughs> very quotable things i think he says uh, the one do you think mick jagger will be up on stage at fi- age 50 years old <laughs> well we know the answer to that now don't oh, we oh yeah yeah you know that was that's one of the <laughs> last uh, years. <laughs> one of the last uh, concerts i saw before pandemic land um um you know, we I we did get to catch the Stones uh, last year, uh, or I, almost. I, I guess it's uh, New Year's Eve that we're recording this, so um, <laughs> it depends on when this comes out. But you know, late uh, late twenty nineteen. Um, uh, but uh, the last the last oh, interesting the last show that I did see was a band called the Struts. A very 70s yes. band. Oh, you like the Struts, Kondra? I, I work at a couple of concert venues, and they opened a few years ago, and they were so good. I hadn't heard of them before they opened for, I don't even remember who it was, but oh my gosh, yes, I really like the Struts. They have such a cool sound to them. Yeah, very. it fits very well in our discussion today. They've got that classic rock sound uh, down, uh, you know, a little Queen influence, a little Rolling Stones influence, and uh, their um, uh, their lead uh, vocalist, uh, Luke Spiller, uh, incorporates a, 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 or inhabits a, a bit of both those gentlemen in his stage persona. Wow, I'm gonna have to check them out. You both, you both enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> so I've seen them six times. So my wife is a huge fan wow. of uh, of the Struts. So uh, I, and I have no problem going there. They I've, they've been great every every single time I've seen them. Yeah. So then we we we, we switch over to uh, Clarence Carter's "Slip Away." Mm-hmm. Um, you guys familiar with the song? I, besides this movie, I don't know that I've ever heard it anywhere else, or even him. I don't know what else. What else has he done? Oh, um, well, Claire, I'm I'm sorry, Contra yourself. I I don't. I, yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat as Eric. I I, yeah, wow. I don't. So uh, you know, Clarence, um, uh, you know, uh, a blues uh, player, blind uh, from birth, um, and uh, actually, I think started off as a duo, if I remember right. Didn't really get anywhere until he went solo. He got hooked up with. Um, um, Rick Hall from Fame Studios, uh, and if you listen to the tune, it's got that real sort of, um, you know, Muscle Shoals meets uh, yeah. Stax Memphis uh, sound. Lots of lots of horns uh, going on in that. Um, but uh, probably the most famous thing that you may you both may remember, uh, Clarence Carter. He wrote a song called "Tell Daddy" in 1966. Does that ring a bell to anybody? Oh, tell, tell Daddy. Okay, uh, no. Does no. it remind you of another song? Uh, I okay. I see it here. 
So yes, Tell Daddy tell, was tell the Mama. original version. That sounds more familiar. <laughs> yeah, Etta James's uh, Tell Mama, which most wow. people are familiar with, is uh, um, what's called a uh, it's called a, a response song or a, a callback yeah. song. Uh, so it's uh, it's uh, Etta James saying, "Oh, you think it's about Daddy? Well, I'm going to tell it. You know, it's going to be about Mama." Uh, and uh, of course, the songs sound very much the same. And, and Clarence Carter does get uh, uh, writing credit on the uh, the the. Uh, um, at a James uh, version, uh, both were cut uh, at Fame Studio and Muscle Shows. And I, and I guess that I see here Janis Joplin, so that might be where I've probably oh, yes. heard at least yep. part of yep. the song. Yep. And it's sticking my it's in my head a little bit. Yeah, her version as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and of course, it's been re recorded a million times as well. Well, and the, and the big thing for this slip away that I noticed was that uh, Greg Allman put out a single in '88 of it. Oh, he Slip did a, ver- a cover version of it as well. Yeah. Ah, that's of Slip Away. Uh, right, um, uh, of Slip yeah. Away, not yeah. not Tell Daddy yeah. or Tell Mama. Right. But um, uh, that that maybe maybe that's Cameron. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, again, making an homage to uh, yeah. you know one of one of his um, uh, heroes, uh, of course, as we know, uh, almost famous. Uh, you know, the the through line is the original uh, story of Cameron going on the road at fifteen uh, with the Almond Brothers uh, under the guise of working for Rolling Stone. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's 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 mostly yeah. I mean, I, I have my segment of the four bands that mostly make up, and I mean, there's certainly definitely reasons I've I've come to realize that uh, that uh, the Almond Brothers are definitely part of part of that of Stillwater, a, a big part, a big a big part. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, of making up Stillwater, and 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 a lot because I, I, Greg, uh, not Dwayne, Greg, is much more uh, in line with Russell's character. I believe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially like, like I mean, his episode with at the house with the acid, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yep. that kind of that kind of paranoia and stuff that he has that morning, you know, especially. All right, uh, and of course, who on. who did say I am a golden god? Um, yeah, that's uh, uh, it's Plant, right? Oh yeah, Robert Plant. Yeah. yeah. Do yeah. you know how that uh, that actually came about? Hmm. I bet I heard, but I just can't, I'm not recalling right now. So go ahead. So uh, Cameron really wanted to use uh, uh, a Zeppelin song. I forget which song it was. Uh, if not, a couple. There's probably a couple Zeppelin songs. In fact, I think there are three. But uh, to get permission, uh, he had to show uh, Robert and Jimmy uh, the um, uh, a cut of the movie. Yeah. So he went to England, you know, rented a, a small, uh, you know, studio theater, uh, and the guys came in, and he's sitting in the back, w- watching them nervously, waiting to see if they were going to grant him permission. And when it came to that scene, Robert stood up, turned around, and said, "I fucking said that." And they, he knew, <laughs> he knew, he knew at that point they were going to get the, they were going to get the songs. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, that's a great that's a great story and uh, one of those rock and roll stories you like, love to hear about. So, like the chances of of, of not getting the so- some songs from Zeppelin in, into the movie, you know, yeah, <laughs> hinged hinged on hinged on Cameron's how, choice on, on, on Cameron's how choice Robert, of putting that putting that scene or, in or how Robert was going to take it. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, he could have taken it more poorly. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, uh, and I think we might all agree that, yes, uh, certainly uh, from about 1969 till uh, 1976, 78 or so, um, uh, Robert Plant was definitely a golden god. (laughs) Conjure, was there something you wanted to? Yeah, I was just thinking like thinking about all of these different stories. I think that's why this movie is so special to do for like a movies by minute because you just have these opportunities to like really dive in and like consider like what is this in really reference to and it's kind of cool how much like this is kind of like in a very weird way like a love letter to a past experience and like like a love letter to early like 70s rock and roll in a lot of ways like late 60s early 70s rock and roll like it's so it's very brutally honest about a lot of the unpleasant parts. Um, case in point, the second half of this um, minute and next minute. Uh, but at the same time, it really like it has all of this fun history built in that makes it a lot of fun to talk about in like 
really give some like some good opportunities for cool cool things to learn oh there's layers and layers uh in this uh in this film and, and to your point um yeah cameron is uh, uh is definitely uh writing a love letter to um his his youth him coming into the business um it's it is firmly planted in the 70s um uh, uh if i can throw my musicologist hat on for a moment uh <laughs> it is yeah it's definitely the early 1970s uh the, the whole look and feel um the cultural signifiers uh the touchstones that he hits on uh the all the easter eggs it's it's definitely um you know uh, uh hearkening back to uh uh, that period of which some, you know, uh, some musicologists say is the the greatest period of, of rock and roll, uh, which ends in. Uh, <clears throat> in fact, um, there are certain days, there are certain years that are picked as as the greatest of all time yeah. in rock music. Sixty five, sixty nine, seventy three, seventy seven. Uh, and uh, when does this movie take place? It takes place in 1973. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I was even going to add uh, that uh, you know there's there's certainly the the issue of you know like some of the records that uh, his sister gave him that they were just a little like maybe as much as a year after in a sense than than what they should have been a year or two. Oh, uh, uh, they they hadn't co- the, quite come out uh, yeah. in '73. Yeah, yeah. I think that was supposed. To be, well, no, I, and that was that was the flash. That was that was the before it we got to '73. Even that was like '69, I think. Is, mm-hmm. is when that was supposed to have been, and and so there was like some seventy, maybe seventy one records in uh, the mix there. Yeah, yeah, that's when, probably yeah. True. When when, he, when he's you know younger, yeah. Before he, and what minute was that, Eric? Oh boy, <laughs> <laughs> about twelve, maybe. Yeah, very early on in the in the in the film, yeah. but uh, um, yeah, you know, um, uh, I I I had a similar uh, event in my life. I had an aunt. Uh, not that she was running away to uh, be a, an airline attendant, but um, uh, she, you know, decided to give me a stereo and uh, a bunch of records uh, when I was about uh, eleven or twelve, and it, it changed my life. Yeah, I, I was lucky enough. Uh, just uh, I, I lived in the house with my dad, <laughs> who <laughs> who had his stereo and allowed me to use it at mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. a younger age of you know. 10 or maybe a little bit younger not much <laughs> mm-hmm. there's definitely points where he was showing me okay let's clean some records <laughs> you know just make sure these <laughs> yeah. these old vinyl album records uh yeah they were uh they were rather would, delicate screw up weren't his they? turntable too much yeah. and so forth yeah yeah they were delicate uh a uh, delicate media uh that is um I guess it's back in prominence. Uh, you know, vinyl is uh, a lot of people are looking at as, uh, uh, you know, a better way to, to listen to music. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, uh, this year uh, mm-hmm. vinyl uh, took a larger market share yeah. in uh, music um, purchasing than uh, CDs. I just heard that, too. I was when you started going there, I was like, I hope he's saying that because if not, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, you know, streaming is is now you know where most people get their music, but uh, for audiophiles, uh, you know, and you know the the warmth of analog, uh, I I certainly uh, am, am a believer in that. Um, you know, having uh, worked with Neil Young and his people uh, to develop a high high definition um, yeah. uh, podcasting, we're we're the first to put out a a high res uh, audio uh, product in podcasting, and Neil's been uh, promoting this for forty years and saying that digital music uh you lose uh some things uh, you know it's a, it's a double-edged sword um you know you you also uh lose uh uh the hiss uh and uh the pops and cracks that you you can get from uh used vinyl uh and uh you know you don't have that in in digital music but at the same time you are losing um uh some frequencies uh that uh, are compressed uh, in in a digital format that uh, you you don't have in an analog format, and uh, so in other words, you're missing the warmth. Or as Neil like to say, say you're missing uh, this feel uh, that there are these overtones and even some frequencies that you may not actually hear, but yeah. you still feel, and you miss that by uh, switching to digital. Mm. Not to turn this into a science experiment. <laughs> I've watched those YouTube videos. It's all right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Rolling down Highway 41 
All right, so they uh, they get uh, off the uh, the decrepit bus onto the decrepit plane, as we will know, all know will, but will prove to be decrepit uh, in a in a in future minutes. Uh, and then uh, they uh, they go to Boston. Yes, my yeah. neck of the woods. Oh, are you from the Northeast? I am, and I went to school right outside of Boston. So, oh, which uh, which school did you go to? I went to Wellesley. Wellesley. Oh, is that one of the Seven Sisters? It is. Oh, very nice. Very nice. You are a very educated woman then. Um, you know, I think intellect, I think educate, there, there's some, some of it I'm glad I did, but at the same time, um, I think the dispersion of, or, um, yeah, the dispersal of education to be more based on experience. I've I've been like 14 years in my library, and I feel like in some ways I've learned more there than I did in four years at school. I definitely learned a lot at school, and I'm glad for it. But um, there's something about an life experiences, on, uh, overemphasis yes. on college education mm-hmm. versus life experience. Um, but yeah, no, it it. I was excited to uh, when I realized I was like, yes, I'm the Boston scene. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, you get to be. Uh, uh, so, how far out of uh, Boston is Wellesley? It's um, twelve miles or oh. thirty to forty-five minutes. There you go. Well, yeah, depending on traffic, <laughs> right? Depending on the big dig, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, well, then you must have spent a lot of time uh, imparting in Boston. Um. I have seen lots of shows in Boston. Um, I have, I'm not much of a partier, um, but I just, I think it's really cool how you can feel the history, uh, like the history of music in New England. Yeah. Um, so my, my favorite example, um, there is a small theme park um, in New Hampshire called Canopy Lake Park. And it is a well-known local history that Aerosmith, played some of their first gigs mm, at this band. concert venue mm-hmm. in Canopy Lake. Yeah. And um, a couple of years ago, they had an Aerosmith cover band as kind of the anniversary of Aerosmith getting their start at Canopy Lake, which is just this funny thing to be like, yes, let's celebrate. <laughs> yeah, so let's cheapen it. Let's cheapen the memory by bringing a inferior product in to uh, perform for us. But at the same time, like, um, one of my years at, in college, um, Aerosmith was playing the 4th of July show with the half shell for free. And they were just, it was just like, yeah, go, go down the, the green belt and go mm-hmm. see Aerosmith. And I'm like, as you do, cause it's Boston. Right, right, right. Now, of course, according to, uh, another, uh, very famous musical rock and roll, uh, movie, uh, Boston is really not a music town. Mm-mm. Uh, you know, mo- the movie I, I speak of. Yes. I think I'm falling short here. Spinal Tap. Oh, oh, oh that's right. <laughs> when yeah. uh, they get the they get the announcement that uh, Boston yeah. is canceled, and they say, "Ah, it's not really a college town anyway." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, let's see. Okay, so we go we go from a, a very quick transition scene of the uh, uh, you know a plane uh, a, a bus to plane. So obviously they're they're moving up in the world. They end up in Boston, and uh, and then I guess it's uh, uh, the card game is what the most of this uh, minute seventy nine is about. Oh yeah, yeah, and actually, uh, so while William is walking down the hotel corridor, uh, there's actually this uh, little deleted scene because you, you you guys do have hopefully if you both make it to the the third of these three minutes mm-hmm. <laughs> that I have you scheduled for uh, there. I, I did give you the YouTube clip yep. for, um, yeah. but here there's just much smaller things that I don't even think are on YouTube at this point, um, at least. Um, uh, but so it's, it's, it's just actually a little bit of a clarification of what, if you turned up the volume loud enough <laughs> um, in, in watching this minute over and over again, um, you heard, uh, you heard a little bit of about a donkey dick. I did not so, hear that. So Definitely we just, missed we just that. Get like a, Darn. We just got like, get like a zoomed in. Is that uh, what that guy view. in the background yeah. is doing? Yeah. <laughs> That's what he's doing. Uh, no, not exactly. Uh, it's more uh, just uh, one one of the guys, and, and we'll go through who each are, and I, I just really don't have a good, clear uh, take on, on who's talking when it's when it's not uh, focused, when the camera's not focused on their mouths moving. Um, uh, but, but one guy's saying, donkey dick man, 
a donkey dick is funny everywhere, possibly everywhere. I'm, I'm pretty sure I heard that, heard that at one point um, in the uh, in the untitled director's cut. Uh, and then the other guy says, yeah, that's funny. You know, so I mean, it's just a very quick thing that you hear a little bit. You hear and see them talking just a little bit better. So uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and say who, who, who the main one here, here is that you hear saying that is the uh, uh, Mitch Hedberg character. And, 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 and hopefully you guys realize that that's who, who one of these guys was. These In, in some uh, places, it's the sunglasses guy wearing. <laughs> you mean Reg? Uh, well, no. Red? I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, okay. He does have sunglasses. You're right. Yeah. Um, but no, no. Not the well, other end. Reg, Reg, the Reg end they're the trying table. to hide Reg completely and utterly yeah. for a reason. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the other end of the table is uh, yeah, but yeah, the 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 Reg character that's a uh, Peter Frampton. Yeah, yeah. Who who was actually we we saw before. This is the second appearance in the movie. He was down in a hotel lobby at the very very beginning, you know, the first time that uh, William goes with Penny out into the world instead of before, after after they initially met. Right, and he is the road so manager of who? Yeah. A uh, humble pie, and why is that so interesting? Because <laughs> that was his old band. That's right. That was his whole <laughs> before band. he went solo. Yeah. Do you know? I did not know that until I watched the movie this year, and was wow. like, "Wait a minute!" And then I looked it up on IMDb and was like, "Oh man, I should have known that." So, but uh, and it makes perfect sense. That's a that's a that's a great little um, Easter egg in there. Um, but yeah, and then uh, you know. Uh, like you already said, uh, Boston, it, it's written at the bottom of the screen. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's one of these uh, very big, big clue, big clue things that are just a uh, little ex- external uh, stuff we, we try to figure out sometimes of just where they are. Try to remember what when the last time it was written on the screen or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, but Russell is then uh, Russell is, is, you know, saying welcome to to uh, to William. I mean, actually, even before that, uh, you know, Dick says, come on in. Um, very and, lovingly uh, welcomed in by being called the enemy. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, as uh, and why did they call them the enemy? Yeah, because I mean, I mean, William is supposedly a journalist. Right. <laughs> you know, we, we we don't see him writing a whole lot, but you know, <laughs> it's it's, it's going to come. You know, there, there was certainly the time in the bathtub where, where yeah. he was trying to get some work done, but. Uh, yeah, and and, uh, and and mainly, you know, I, I've said before. I mean, mainly uh, Jeff Beebe, played by Jason Lee. Uh, uh, you know, he seemed to be the big one on calling calling William the enemy. So this is a a Jeffless mm. <laughs> call out of William as the enemy by by both Russell and Dick, pretty much. I'm I'm pretty sure saying that at the same time. Yeah, I've always uh, kind of wondered about this. I mean, I you know, I mean, obviously, you know, the press is uh, you know the enemy of, uh, of of those that they report on in certain circumstances um i mean we've heard a lot of that over the last few years haven't we um and uh you know they're just trying to strip back the mythology uh and tell the truth and i think from jason lee's character's point of view he's afraid of being exposed because as we know uh, a thread in the in the film is that um it's really uh, uh billy crudup's you know he's the real talent of Stillwater, uh, and the other guys are all replaceable. Yeah. Well, and I, and I thought you were even actually going to kind of go towards that, you know, also that uh, Russell is kind of the one that seemed to have the, you know, I don't, I don't know about the most to lose, but the, but the juiciest secret, you know, of, you know, if, 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 if he's the one with the wife or even ex-wife that is now a girlfriend that we hear about a little bit more, I think, in, in the third minute of, of, of what we're doing here. Uh, with you two, um, that, you know, he, he just, like I said, not necessarily the most to lose, but, you know, it, it, it's just most most damaging, um, in a sense. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's kind of like, a, a, you're playing a little bit off of, uh, you know, probably the most famous um, wife situation was, yeah. you know, John Lennon marrying Cynthia, yeah. and, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, Brian Epstein uh, doing everything he can to keep that out of the press 
uh, because yeah. he didn't want to mess up, you know, the mop top, um, uh, you know, girls that, uh, you know, had fallen in love with uh, with the, the, the four, um, you know, the fab four. So uh, he, he wanted their them. their fantasy fantasies to continue mm-hmm. in order to yeah. sell more. Of course. Product. Yeah. 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 That, that was, that was what yeah. they were selling, you know, is, uh, yeah. you know, availability of these young men. And, uh, um, I, you know, I don't know. By seventy three, I'm not sure that would have made yeah. much of a dent, uh, you know, by exposing, uh, you know, the guitar player who's married is sleeping around. Duh. Yeah. So, uh, so then, uh, you know, they they kind of welcome in welcome him in and and tell him about uh, this this poker game that they're playing and yeah, and it's something that let's talk about the poker game. So these. these roadies and managers have <laughs> kind of some, some a way that they uh fraternize and uh have fun and and uh as we'll find out next minute <laughs> so we do some uh kind of deceptive devious things so two things we have we have four road managers uh that yeah. are are playing in there we have uh, raymond who is the road manager for the eagles uh mick so so and then that, that is so that is uh, the Mitch Hedberg character, Mitch Hedberg. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So the the comedian, you know, many comedians <laughs> throughout the movie. Um, he's he's possibly, probably at that point in two thousand, he was like peak. I'm, yeah, I would say he was probably the biggest, but he was the, definitely the most like un, unnoticeable, or, or, or yeah, un, unnoticeable. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't I didn't recognize him, yeah. and uh, and then that's the thing with the director's cut and the deleted scene. I mean, that's that's where he actually says this stuff about donkey dicks. <laughs> uh, and then uh, uh, so uh, Raymond's with the Eagles, mixed with the Who. I I would assume Red Dog is with Sabbath since Stillwater is still opening for Sabbath at this point, right? I, I looked up Red Dog because Did I didn't awesome. know who he was. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and in the credits legendary red yeah, dog. Le- oh, yeah legendary red dog so he's actually a roadie for the almond brothers that he was on and off with them for over 30 years um and uh yeah so directly a character like a, a real life roadie um and he was also a vietnam war vet and gave some of his disability checks to the almond brothers in the beginning when they were kind of getting going and as part of the crew it's kind of like a little uh, what's 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 that angel investor kind yeah. of right right yeah. right <laughs> right role uh, or uh, angel investor and I'm going to move your heavy shit around. Well, <laughs> let's see. Uh, there's another famous uh, angel investor in rock and roll. Uh, that uh, being uh, Bear Owsley. Uh, uh, who I would I would prefer over Red Dog because you know Red Dog was handing him some of his uh, disability checks. Um, uh, whereas Owsley was handing the Grateful Dead all of his LSD money. Ooh, wow! Well, that's how the Dead ended up with their great sound systems. Yeah, he was he was a dealer. Uh, he was a cooker. <laughs> oh, a cooker! You know, okay. Yeah, wow. uh, um, considered uh, one of the best uh, cookers uh, in, uh, in 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 all hmm. of history. So. Uh, all right, so there, so there, there's okay. There's these four road managers. Why does Russell get to play if this is a road manager's poker party? Is he playing? I thought he, he was plays just sitting one, there. Ah, yes, I, I, I did too. But but there, when he man. walks in, Russell's got a card on his forehead. Uh-oh. Now four with clubs. the next round, you're right. He does not play. Yeah. So is he in or not in? I can't tell. Yeah, and, and that's the you know I mean I I think it's I think it's pretty casual that you know I mean there's there's the other guy that's in the back that you know yeah okay maybe he is the one that's maybe that's that that's what spurs on mm-hmm. uh, the uh, Mitch Hedberg characters talk about Donkey Dicks but but yeah he's he's back there on the phone and on the bed at a point or something you know just hanging out waiting for there might even be a couple people back there. By the way, I just I just noticed Mitch Hedberg is dead. Yeah. Oh yeah, died yeah, at thirty-seven. Yeah, mm-hmm. it must be drugs. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. pretty sure. Yeah, it was, was an overdose. Um, yeah. yeah, it was very, yeah, very unfortunate. He was a brilliant comedian. Uh, I really like his work. I, 
yeah so well yeah and, and uh, gosh speaking of donkey dicks my two favorite jokes of him involve the letter d yeah <laughs> the dufranes and and donuts mm-hmm. <laughs> where are the dufranes um but yeah nonetheless yeah i mean it's 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 yeah it's it's a, it's a little confusing with russell there but you know i, I just think it's so casual and uh, you know, and 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 you know, the the one guy sits down. That's the one guy that uh, that uh, William meets first, and you know, asks you know about Russell if, if, if he's Russell's there, right? There, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and that's that's played by Devin Corey, who just by the way, just you know, not not a big big point, but uh, that, that happens to be the actor's name, and there's not a whole lot he's done out. Ha- have we checked to see if all of these guys are still alive? Or dead? oh wow, there could be a, yeah. I mean, you know, the Mitch Hedberg story—that's very rock and roll. Yeah, he's the Eagles' road manager, and Devin Corey is the Who's road manager. That's a, that's what these correct can um, uh, credited as. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Devin's like his his last last role, and it was uncredited, was in Jarhead in two thousand five. Oh. So he certainly hasn't been doing much. I mean, if he did pass away, it's not noted. Um, yeah, yeah. But we know we know Peter Frampton's still around. I, I've seen him on uh, Rick Beato's. Uh, oh, too. you're a Rick Beato mm-hmm. fan, he's, huh? He's yeah, I've watched some of his stuff. Yeah, yeah, Rick's cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, they now are going to uh, uh, play uh, a single game, uh, and and this apparently is just between Reg, as played by Peter Frampton, and Dick, right? Yeah, it really has come down to that. Yeah, the the other the other guys. I mean, every now and then there's a little bit of chatter in the background, which I don't even know if I got mm-hmm. got very well, but uh, uh, in the in the transcript, what have you? But uh, I supplied with. And but, uh, uh, poor yeah, Dick, it's... poor Dick only has a deuce, right? <laughs> um, and uh, it's, it's clearly high card wins. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Reg, of course, has a face card. Uh, which okay. which uh, yeah. I, I couldn't figure out uh, if it was a, a jack, queen, or king. Um, uh, yeah. Any one of those cards could have uh, some significance if uh, if they were, uh, you know, if it was decided on which one it was. Um, but uh, so my first question is, why in the fuck would Dick bet all of that when he knows that Reg has got a face card? Necessity. Ah. Oh. <laughs> He has to get rid of the girls. I mean, that's more. We find out more yeah. of that in the next minute. So right. sorry to spoil. It, but. Yeah, <laughs> the next and, and not. Yeah, and not, and not necessarily the girls, but the one girl in particular. Yeah, which, mm-hmm. which I mean, doesn't end up working out anyway. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's, no. it's you know, Dick maybe as a manager should be <laughs> fired or something. <laughs> yeah, well, well, he but, had been fired, or well, he was now he's just demoted to the de- road demoted, manager, yeah. just just yeah, road. Yeah, yeah, and there is a big difference between those those two oh, yeah. jobs. Let me tell you. Now, now there is a deleted scene, another another a little bit longer deleted scene here, and it actually. Oh, you're right. You're question. right. I am moving in. Oh, darn it! Uh, now I see why this it, takes it, so long. You have to go to about five different things to look at. Okay. <laughs> Um, but it does answer your question about uh, Russell, though. Uh, uh, the, the one little part how how it uh, how the deleted scene uh, starts is it adds the two words which helps to the end of so you can play in any condition which helps, um, and then one of the other guys don't know which adds in about Russell. He says we let Russell in because he brought the hash. <laughs> right. Uh, another guy says easy easy. The press is here. So, again, treating William very much as the, the enemy. enemy and, right, right. You know. right. Um, and then Mitch, Mitch Hedberg, uh, again, he, he also, th- this is this is probably his stronger line compared to the donkey dick, actually, is don't mention me or the eagles. <laughs> but then he hands William the, uh, the can that we've previously seen uh, uh, Red Dog with. I think I don't know if you guys both noticed that the can that they're smoking. Oh, from. I noticed the can. I can't little, road managers little, afford a real fucking pipe. Yeah, right. A little, yeah, right. A a, a uh, that's so a high DIY, school DIY pipe. Yeah, come on, they're in a nice hotel. You can at least go get a good pipe. And, uh, you know, a couple of, couple of those guys uh, are, are, are folding, saying, I'm done and I'm out, you know. And uh, and, and William, 
you know, the, the can kind of disappears after he gets handed it, and it, the, the camera cuts back and forth a little bit, and it kind of disappears. But uh, so I assume it was going it was going from Machedberg's character to William, so it should have gone to Dick, but mm-hmm. he's involved in this uh, very important. <laughs> deal transaction is what it really is what it really is going to turn out to be i think we 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 need mm-hmm. we'll, we'll we'll definitely try to get a little more into that next minute yes yeah but uh yeah but we, yeah we do get the first or a part of a part of this this uh mm-hmm. what, what's going to happen the side proposition to the winner the side proposition because because yeah. that's what it is that's what's going to be it's gonna it's 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 this you know two-way street of things being handed back and forth and supposedly one has more value than the other and the loser is the one with the lesser value items. Mm-hmm. Is what they're agreeing to. So fifty bucks in the case of Heine, Heine. You know, it's not Heine like in my other in my other podcast. Uh, <laughs> feels like Weezer, where we discussed uh, the song "Say It Ain't So" very early on on the Blue Album, uh, and uh, it's pronounced Heine as as it was very much in the in the '90s. I don't know about before that, um... <laughs> but uh, Heineken. Someone's hiney is crowded in my icebox. Um, no, I yeah. don't remember that when I was younger. Uh, and I must say, uh, I, I'm old enough to remember when Heineken was like one of the most exotic beers you could buy. Yeah. Wow. You know, that was, boy, it was a special night if somebody pulled I, out the Heineken. I, yeah. I, I enjoyed it in college and, and you know, compared to <laughs> other other friends that were getting the uh, – the uh, now so-called, or I'm pretty sure then we called it uh, Natty Light, you know, the piss water. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Like Coors Light and Bud Light and Miller Light. And yeah, uh, that was the American beers. And then the only other uh, exotic beers were, you know, St. Pauli Girl and uh, Heineken. Um, and then we we had some, I think, I think Dos Exes was 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 coming into play, and then I remember the first time I had a Qingdao from China. That was like, boy, that was exotic. But here on Beer Talk, uh, I think we're coming to a close. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. I haven't had a beer for months and months now. Yeah, I'm not much just of a beer guy myself. I'm, I'm a wine guy. I'm, so. I'm a little. Just, just a little more of a social drinker. I mean, I enjoy them, but yeah. but just do it mainly socially. Just I'm yeah, it's got to be it's got to be hot and outside for me to <laughs> enjoy a beer. Uh, otherwise, I prefer my wine. Yeah. Um, do either of you have any more notes for this minute? No, I feel like I'm going to rush myself and get into the next minute uh, because that's where <laughs> the juicy stuff happens. But um, uh, you know, I I it's uh. This minute is uh, well. I might might ask Kendra what what did you think of uh, you know uh, these uh, masculine types all getting together uh, and uh, doing their thing. Fe- femaleless minute. Yes. You know, I will save all those thoughts until the next minute because I've got a lot of thoughts. <laughs> Yeah, I figured you might. Um, <laughs> uh, boy, were those different times, huh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, um, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I like, you know, that, uh, you know, they're they're moving up. Uh, obviously, that's this, you know, what the plane signifies. You know, mm-hmm. they're now uh, uh, in Boston, you know, a real uh, music town. Um uh, and uh, you know they're probably going to have a, you know thinking they're going to have a great show. I find it interesting that uh, you know I th- you know they're 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 humanizing Russell by by putting him in with the you know the average guys you know the 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 worker bees uh, and he can hang with them. Uh, whereas you know you'd never see Jason Lee's character do that. Of course not. He's above <laughs> it all, right? Uh, so that's kind of cool. I think. Russell doesn't look comfortable though. There's definitely an unease as as much I think especially realizing what Dick is doing and like as the scene progresses the more uncomfortable he looks and he definitely is like not as relaxed as like Red Dog. Oh, well here's a question. Did Russell put Dick up to getting rid of the girls? Put- oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's why he's uncomfortable. It's like, oh, here's that moment we talked about. Here's where it's going to go down. 
Yeah, I mean, it definitely could be the case. Um, I mean, I'm sure he had something to do with it, especially because it's his ex-wife slash girlfriend that is the reason he needs to get rid of Penny. Right. Um, But at the same time, well, I mean, the fact that he's there in general and he didn't just be like, go do this thing for me um, is good, but it's still like i'm glad he looks uncomfortable about being there because like yeah what he's doing is not great uh no um uh what obviously what's going to happen in the next minute uh is not great um and uh, certainly doesn't play very well in 2020 <laughs> that's for sure yeah. So. yeah Oh wow! But um, just just one of a list of things that I, I've been on for well. other fun things in this <laughs> yeah. movie before. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, now we're all uncomfortable. Um, uh, you know the uh, the simplicity of the uh, of the uh, the card game, uh, obviously uh, able to be played under any condition. Um, you know that makes sense. Um, I do wonder who's the guy in the background and what is what is his purpose. Yeah. Just, I guess we'll never know. Just, yeah. Sure seems like it. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and really, like I, I think I said, I think there's actually a couple people even you mm-hmm. know, back there. You know, there's there's another person on that bed. I'm awfully sure. And then there's kind of one person standing up, kind of in the corner in front of the window. Yeah, too. that's who I was talking about—the guy in the background oh, standing yeah, the... up in the window. It's like, what is oh. he doing? Yeah, there, there's at least one person on the bed too. <laughs> oh, the stories okay. that those guys can tell. Um. So yeah. So Christian, since I generally just take care of this the first time uh, people are on the episode, or on an episode, and, and when they're on a couple times, at least, at least. Um. Uh, we'd like to have you uh, rank from favorite to least or vice versa um, the four bands that are most commonly made made believed to make up the band Stillwater. Yeah, and the four bands are uh, Allman Brothers. I mean, that's obvious. Uh, I say Zeppelin uh, for two reasons. One, because uh, Fever Dog, which is the most prominent song that's played in the movie, Okay, uh, which they yeah. do a great job of, uh, very Zeppelin esque, uh, and yeah. by the way, uh, all written by um, uh, Nancy Wilson, who was a big Zeppelin fanatic herself, uh, and you know you can say uh, Heart uh, sounds a lot like Zeppelin, uh, especially the early stuff, um, and, and with Peter Frampton for at least a couple of the songs as well. Yeah, he yeah he actually uh, yeah he was involved in, in the writing. So. That's right. Uh, and um, uh, Leonard Skinner, uh, 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 you know, uh, was is a third, and um, the Eagles being the fourth. Right. Those are the four bands. Yeah. Right. And that, and that's your order. No or? hell no. Yeah. That's not no. my order. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so jeez, yeah. uh, and yeah. so I have to rank them. And and what is the criteria for ranking? Just 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 your your personal preference. My personal favorites. Yeah. Oh yeah. man. Yeah, you don't have to, you don't have to think about are they actually really good. Uh huh. Just what? How do you respond? Okay. At this time. At this time. Okay. I, 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 I would I would put, I would put Leonard Skinner at the bottom. Uh, yeah, wow. uh, uh, and, and nothing against Skinner. I, 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 I like uh, Skinner. I've, I've played some of their yeah. songs. Um, uh, you know, there's a, a real genius uh, to them. Um, uh, you know, um, uh, so uh, it's not that I dislike them, but they didn't float my boat uh, as much as the Allman Brothers did. And I think I look at those two bands as similar. Yeah, they're they're the most of a pair. Yeah, that, and the very <laughs> yeah, southern rock, uh, that sort of most. stuff. Yeah. And you know, I was able to see both bands, and I've seen the Allman Brothers a million times because I just wow. thought they were that great. Uh, I, you know what? I, I, I just I, I hate to say this, but I, I think I'm going to put the uh, put the Allman Brothers at the top. Um, I'd put um, the Eagles uh, third. Um, because I, I love their harmony, uh, their, uh, the harmonies, um, especially with uh, Randy Meisner and Timothy B. Schmidt's high voice on the top. Um, uh, you know, their songwriting, say what you want. And I know uh, since we've already brought up the Big Lebowski, uh, there's the famous uh, uh, saying of, uh, I hate the Eagles, uh, get out of my cab. Uh, and um, uh, and I, I, I think that is 
unworthy. Uh, I know a lot of people complain about the Eagles because they they were one of the most professional acts, and what that means is that they were yeah. put together professionally. These weren't chums that said let's let's make a band. Uh, you know, the the everybody was put into that uh, that band for a very specific reason, uh, and they wrote. You know, out of all of them, um, you know, they wrote the most hits. Okay, Zeppelin would be second, um, you know, probably the most influential of of the four bands, uh, because let's face it, is there anybody in the 80s that plays hard rock that is not influenced by Zeppelin? No, Uh, they all sound like Zeppelin when you get right down to it. So. Um, uh, but for me personally, just, um, uh, I never did get to see, uh, uh, Zeppelin live. Um, oh. but, um, uh, boy, the Allman brothers, every time I saw them, I left just astounded on how good they were and just where they could take the music. Uh, you know, I mentioned the Grateful Dead earlier with the Bear Owsley, uh, making the acid and getting them started. Um, and I've seen the Grateful Dead a, a million times as well. And the Allman brothers are like the Grateful Dead who can play, you know, that are yeah. just the musicianship is like, oh, my it's God. Up a notch. Yeah. yeah. And, and don't get me wrong. I love the dead. And I love what they do. Yeah. And I, I love being in there uh, in, in, the, in that that audience and, and all that. So so from the bottom, uh, um, uh, Leonard Skinner, um, Eagles, uh, Zeppelin uh, and, of course, the Allman Brothers. Well, 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 two things I'd like to ask because I because I, I really I do I do you know I mean you're 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 a musician I mean you do this podcasting stuff too which we'll get to mm-hmm. in a moment I mm-hmm. think but uh, uh, you know you're a musician and and uh, I mean you mentioned so you mentioned the dead and so so would I, I've always kind of got the got the take and and and, and listened enough I think to uh, Jerry I mean Jerry he, he was kind of maybe close to being on the same level as say. The other playing uh, Almond Brothers, um, uh, yeah, oh uh, yeah, oh, uh, oh no, no, uh, uh, performers, uh, Jer- Jer- but, but it's the rest of the band uh, of the day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would put that's, that's maybe the notch down. Yeah, Jer- I mean, Jerry is uh, you know one of the most beautifully fluid guitar players ever. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. uh, I mean, to me, Jerry is like he he's he's like listening to um, a stream rolling over rock. You know, it's just this yeah. beautiful, natural sound. Um, th- th- there's not a lot of flash. And when he does flash, you know, you can, mm-hmm. the audience gets excited, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, there's that. I, I put Phil up there as a, a you know, a, a world-class okay. musician. You know, Phil was the only really trained, um, you know, uh, music uh, uh, musician in, in the band. Um, uh, you know, Bobby, you know, had to work and let's face it, he was brought in to be the face of the band. Uh, he was the, the good looking one. Uh, uh, neither of the drummers, uh, I, I, you know, I, I mean, um, uh, uh, Mickey has done a lot, um, percussion wise and, uh, um, uh, and, you know, is a, a good percussionist, um, and, uh, has opened a lot of doors with using his, his, uh, platform. Um, uh, so, you know, and then the keyboard players, um, uh, you know, it started off with, uh, with Pigpen, who was actually a, a pretty damn good blues singer and, uh, uh, pianist and, and harp player. Uh, uh, and of course, you know, they lost him young. Um, and, um, you know, I, I preferred the eighties Brent Midland period. That's my favorite. And he was, he was a pretty world-class musician today. Let's face it. John Mayer, he's a world-class guitar player and, uh, uh, O'Teal Burbage, who's now the bass player. He's world-class. So the, the what is called dead in company today, um, <clears throat> is pretty good, but you know, the Allman brothers, uh, with and without Dwayne, and I, of course, I never got to see them with Dwayne, but uh, I've heard plenty. Um, uh, and by the way, O'Teal Burbridge was the bass player for the Allman Brothers for 30 years uh, before moving over to uh, Dead & Company after the Allman Brothers called it quits. Um, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, uh, I, you know, I think that uh, just that band consistently every night, you know, musically, um, you know, were just... It was almost like um, if Yes played blues-based Southern rock. Okay, you know yeah. that's that's the and the that's the way the Almond Brothers were for me. I mean, I, I my head would explode 
every time I'd see those guys, uh, just shaking my head and want to cry because I could never be that good. Uh, whereas, you know, you know, the Grateful Dead, I, I, it's it's a, it's a little more accessible, might be a way yeah. to put it. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's my long-winded cool. answer. Yeah. Well, and then then maybe uh, something that yeah you can you, you could be shorter on maybe, but you can go on <laughs> a little bit longer if you want to. Uh, my second question was more about the back with the Eagles. You mentioned like put together. So I mean, was that a man? Was that a manager? I'm just not thinking of who that is. No, it it, now, it, is it, it it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, you know, this Blanner. this was. Um, um, uh, I have to think back in the beginning of the of the Eagles. Um, uh, I think it was David Geffen who kind of helped put them together. Okay. I mean, let's face yeah. it that uh, um, Glenn Fry and um, uh, you know all these guys uh, hung out at the Troubadour in L.A. Uh, okay. These were Laurel Canyon uh, uh, people, yeah. right? And, um, um, you know, um, uh, Glenn Fry, who came from um, uh, from Detroit, uh, brought a certain roughy, rougher musicality, um, you know, was an acolyte of Bob Seger uh, and uh, came out to L.A. to make it. Uh, uh, Don Henley uh, from Texas uh, brought a completely different set of skills um, and 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 musical feel, uh, and those two are the backbone of the Eagles. Um, yeah. And it's their professional um, uh, relationship that drives everything else. They realized, you know, when they're coming together in the early '70s, you know, they they start off in Linda Ronstadt's um, uh, band, uh, backing band, uh, and uh, they realized that. Uh, you know they've got something, and they and, and they think that they can fit this new corporatized professional music world uh, of the that is going to occur in the 1970s, and uh, so they intentionally go, okay, well, who's the best guy for this? Well, they they picked Bernie Ledden to come in because he was a multi instrumentalist, um, and he could sing. And then they brought Randy Meisner, who they stole from the Burrito Brothers, uh, who, you know, had this incredible, you know, falsetto uh, that could sit on top of everything and create this three or four or five part harmonies uh, that, you know, were, you know, were were on the level of the Beach Boys, uh, you know, or the Everly Brothers, um, you know, uh, sort of thing. Uh, And uh, so they were picked very specifically to fit those niches and and the proof of that is that as they as they switched uh and they you know they got rid of bernie ledden who it was bernie who left bernie bernie didn't want to go into a, a more harder rock vein but fry and uh and um uh, and henley knew that that's the way music was going so you know they brought in joe walsh and um uh oh come on i forget his name that uh, they fired uh, not too long ago oh actually about 20 years ago but uh um uh and uh, uh and that brought a little bit harder rock scene to fit into the what was going on professionally out there and then the 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 the, the obvious is that when Randy Meisner left, they stole the next bass player from uh, Poco. It was, I'm sorry, it was Poco. It was where the, where the, the two yeah. bass players came from. And uh, that was Timothy B. Schmidt, who sounded exactly like Randy Meisner. So, uh, you know, kept that that quality of voice that they were looking for uh, out there. So it's just the, the thought process and, and the knock on the Eagles is that it was all done in service yeah. of the mighty dollar. Uh, and, uh, you know, there, there's something to be said about that and how they went about their songwriting writing uh but i mean is is that any different than tin pan alley uh which is you know that what that's what those guys were doing in the eras before uh you know it was all about you know creating the 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 best pop song to hit the charts at the right moment to make as much bank as possible and i'll leave it right there yeah oh yeah um, yeah, that's 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 uh, a little bit of the rock and roll archaeology, you know, stuff that <laughs> we're getting a little taste of here. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, that's yeah. what I do for a living. Yeah, um, let, let's get back to that in a minute, and actually have a uh, Condra uh, talk about what she does and give some plugs. Sure. Uh, if people want to find me on the internet, I uh, co-host a show, um, a Movies by Minute podcast with my brother. 
We're called the Amateur Nerds. Right now we are on our third season where we are covering High School Musical. Yeah, so everyone should uh, definitely go check that out. Uh, check out uh, all, all three of the their projects that they've that they're two, two done before and one currently going. Mm-hmm. Uh, appreciate Conjure coming on again. We'll be back uh, next minute, of course, too. Yeah. But uh, before we get to that part, uh, so let's hear just a little bit more from Christian back about the good old Pantheon Podcast Network, <laughs> and 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 you you can go for your main show or. Oh geez, um, <clears throat> yeah, uh, yeah. Let's talk about rock and roll archaeology. Um, anybody can go to the Pantheon Podcast dot com and check out all of our offerings out there. Um, we've got uh, almost seventy shows now yeah. on the network, all music related, um, and a lot of cross pollination that goes on there. Uh, if you yeah. like one, you'll probably like three or four or five uh, out there. But uh, so this all started five years ago when uh, I created a show called Rock and Roll Archaeology, um, which is a uh, chronological uh, telling of the uh, music, uh, the history of the music of the late 20th century. So we actually start uh, post-World War II and show how music, culture, and technology uh, uh, wove together to create this feedback loop uh, that um, you know created uh, what I happen to think is some of the best music uh, that's ever been um uh, written and will stand the test of time. It already has st- stood the test of 70 years. That's pretty huge. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think uh, we'll look back on this era uh, uh, 500 years from now uh, and say, wow, this was a really special moment in uh, in in music. And, and the reason why is because of, you know, how the culture, the music, and the technology all kind of showed up. Uh, at the same time, uh, the music commented on the the times. The times uh, affected the music. Uh, the technology that uh, started uh, mostly out of out of World War Two, uh, you know, went into uh, commercial uh, endeavors. Uh, the recording industry and the live music industry both benefited from this uh, technological explosion of the late twentieth century, and uh, we got uh, you know concerts uh, and recordings that uh, just got better and better. Better, uh, as we went along yeah and the uh drugs maybe kind of helped a little bit too but hurt hurt, <laughs> hurt, as, well. hurt as well uh certain drugs definitely helped uh yeah, certain yeah. drugs definitely hurt uh you know yeah. uh, but uh uh, yeah, I mean, um, you know, it's it's not just that. It's, um, you know, societal changes, uh, you know, the yeah. uh, the, uh, the pluralistic society, uh, the fact that, um, uh, you know, we had an educated populace, the baby booms uh, that had uh, risen to prominence and had given a place at the table. The teenager was a was became a thing. And yeah. and I don't mean there weren't teenagers before because there's always been teenagers, but there wasn't a calling. In that. Yeah, there wasn't a uh, there was wasn't a, uh, a a consumer group known as teenagers. They are a demographic, exactly. That is important too. Yeah, and that that's that's you know, that's them. late. That's that's uh, you know uh, you know starts with the baby boomers and uh, moves into Generation X. And so for at least two uh, generations, if not two and a half, uh, you know, this music was um, you know the touchstone. It was the uh, the currency of the day. It was how uh, uh, the tribes were 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 made. Um, I don't think that's the case. Uh, now I think there are other things, uh, and to be honest with you, um, you know, it's been music's been replaced by social media and gaming as uh, the primary um, uh, touchstones of today's youth. Uh, but uh, but we have fun um, uh, exploring uh, the um, um, uh, you know the uh, the human condition uh, through uh, the music of the late twentieth century. Yeah, so uh, thank you so much, Christian, uh, for coming on first time, and we should have you back the next couple minutes. Yeah, uh, and and conjure two, hopefully, uh, mm-hmm. at least the next one here, mm-hmm. if she can uh, put up with me for another two yeah. two episodes. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and we definitely get into uh, a little diciness. Uh, oh, so to can't speak, wait uh, with with uh, <laughs> the 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 girls, the mm-hmm. band aids, and mm-hmm. Penny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, in this poker game um so yeah so thank you both so much uh the one thing i'll i'll say real quick is uh for anyone trying that would like to uh just personally privately message me uh you can reach me at almost famous minute at gmail.com so uh otherwise we're just all over the place facebook twitter instagram and uh 
find us wherever at uh, and definitely at uh, pantheonpodcast.com. Uh, so uh, next time will be minute 80. Uh, this was 79, and we'll see you then. Until then, it's all happening. It's, it's all, all happening. happening. I am a golden god! It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.